Hello, friends. Welcome back to the episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Hempland. Awesome. Has truly saved my life. Rothy's. Wear them all the time. And Plant Package. Just sent a package to my boyfriend's mom. Tracking it right now. Hopefully she receives it before Christmas. Listen, guys. These all make great holiday gifts, and this is coming out, well, tomorrow, December 19th. You still have time, and I'm going to give you some promo codes to make it easier on you if you want to use these. But if you don't, hey, fine. But I recommend it, because they're all great products, or I wouldn't be mentioning them. Guys, listen, I am incredibly excited about this podcast today. I have put a ton of work into it. But before I get to it, I want to quickly say show dates. We got uh, January 17th, Denver, Colorado, February 19th, Detroit, Michigan, um, uh, March 28th, Long Island, and March 29th, Boston. You can get all tickets at rachelobriancomedy.com. I will be thrilled to see you there. You guys are amazing, and I really hope I see you there. Okay, so this podcast today, it's going to be, well, it's a two-part, so you're getting half of it today and half of it on December 26th. I've never done a two-part before, but this story was very, very important to me. I, uh, uh, I think I should just get into it. Quote, there is honor among thieves, said Dana Overstreet, who was the prosecuting attorney in the situation. Another quote, in my case, Han is a hero. So guys, I'm departing a bit from what I normally do on this podcast, but in all honesty, I find people from all walks of life so dang interesting, and a story that stopped me in my tracks was this one, and I knew I had to take the drive up to Northern California and speak to him in person. I believe, for better or worse, we are put on this earth to help and connect with other people, and sometimes that might come in the most unlikely of circumstances. Perhaps it's in the form of a selfish act that ultimately helps another person realize their worth. Think of like dating and how much it hurts to be broken up with, but ultimately you realize your confidence was not at all dependent on that person that broke up with you. And sometimes connection and growth is in the form of a selfless act, risking public humiliation or alienation from others, for example, to stand up for what you believe in. My guest in this two-part episode was technically guilty of both, being selfish and selfless. But what ultimately defines him as a moral, bright, kind, and intelligent human was what he was willing to risk to save someone else. This is a story of Matthew Hahn. Yes, he's a self-admitted and very self-aware criminal, but also someone with a moral compass stronger than most. So I ask you, please listen fully to this two-part podcast. One episode is being released this week on December 19th, 2019, and the other on December 26th, 2019. And yes, I'm going to be leaving you with a cliffhanger at the end of this one, but Uh, I recorded with Matt for three hours and it was only appropriate to include the entire story but break it up in a way that was manageable for you to listen to but also to make sure the details are clear. Uh, Anyways guys, happy holidays. I love you so much friends and thank you for being such a huge support system and I'll see you all in 2020. So without further ado, give it up for Matthew Hahn. Matthew Hahn, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here at my yeah, house. Yeah, no, on my thank, couch. thank you for yeah, like inviting us into your home and giving us pizza. And this absolutely, been, I had to give you a taste of Northern California pizza. It was delicious, uh, minus the fact that I did eat a huge piece of garlic, and I feel like that's really fully on my breath right now from that pizza. I, I don't notice. Okay, good. We're we're sitting a safe distance away. 
Yeah. Opposite ends of the couch, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. I guess I have to, I should explain. We all took this like road trip together. So um, me and my friend Walter and my boyfriend Greg took a road trip to San Francisco. Uh, and well, now we're in San Jose to interview you in order to like do this kind of special interview. Like I was just really fascinated by your story. And uh, I so I heard you on Sword and Scale. Uh, that's a true crime podcast. I understand listeners that my podcast is not a true crime podcast, but I'm fascinated by just any story of like any human, you know, just doing things that are interesting. And uh, the thing I, your story was so interesting because it, 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 you were a technically a criminal, but you're a really, really sweet, good person. So that's why <laughs> I originally wanted to talk to you. So let's start, I guess, from uh, just tell me a little bit about like growing up in the Bay Area and what what kind of led you into starting meth and things. (laughs) Well, I didn't just like kind of pop out the womb and start doing meth. It wasn't. I mean, listen, (laughs) stranger things have happened. I think Drew Barrymore started doing drugs at like like what, like six or something. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. But I, I guess there are people who actually are born on meth, unfortunately. But. Um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, a relatively wealthy community in mm-hmm. the uh, South Bay area and, uh, came from a great family, had great parents and, uh, I went the wrong way, I guess, you know, I, um, you know, I guess we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I'm kind of the kind of guy that likes to do the opposite of what I'm told Yeah, and, uh, kind of had a rebellious streak through like most of my childhood. And, uh, so I think the first time I... You know, like we were told, what was it? This is the '80s. You know, the Nancy Reagan, like, mm-hmm. just say no to drugs, that whole thing. Yeah. And so, like, I was always told, like, just say no to drugs, just say no to drugs. And I think uh, sometime in like the early '90s, like, I knew of like one of our babysitters who smoked pot, and she didn't seem to have all the things happen to her that like Nancy Reagan told us would happen to people who smoke pot. Nancy Reagan also used to consult <laughs> psychics to make uh, like world decisions. I didn't know that. That's yeah. So that's actually terrifying. <laughs> Um, that's a true story <laughs> but there is some element of like they told me i shouldn't do it and then there seem to be people who are okay who mm-hmm. do it so you know i guess that plants a seed so i like i tried smoking pot i think when i was i might have been in sixth or seventh grade mm-hmm. um didn't do anything for me mostly because i didn't know what i was doing mm-hmm. i know that now yeah yeah you know i don't think i got high that first time i think that that's why i, I i've i've tried smoking uh, i would say like 10 times in my life i'm doing it wrong like I, I don't either either I don't get high or I get sick or something like. Well, like I really didn't do it wrong. Like, I mean, like, I mean, I, I really did it wrong. Like I tried making a pipe out of like a straw in tinfoil oh. and like I couldn't figure out how to get. I know this sounds. You were starting with making a homemade device. Yes, yeah, like I like I know this sounds ridiculous, but like. We all know how to get the flame to go into the pipe. Yeah. But it didn't dawn on me as a sixth grader to like suck on the pipe to make the flame go in the pipe. So I remember like trying to turn the pipe upside down to get it to burn the pot that was mm-hmm. inside it. And I ended up just melting the straw that was inside the tinfoil. It was okay, like, so it was you, a mess. You, so you smoked melted plastic. Basically, that's, yeah. That's got to feel good. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, that's why it didn't work. Um, but then like a couple years later, uh, so this would have been eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I started smoking pot for an eighth grader relatively frequently. So a couple times a week, a friend of mine had like gotten a bong. So it was like after school for an hour to go take bong rips to the house, that sort of thing. That's that sort of thing. And I ended up getting, uh, 
I want to say arrested because the, I mean, the police were involved, but it was more like the rent a cop at the dance called the cops. Mm -hmm. And then I got in trouble for, um, you know, smoking pot at a dance when I was in eighth grade. Um, so that's kind of like started the ball. I kind of got the ball rolling. Did that, did that contribute to the, um, the the three strikes? No. Because you were a minor. Well, you wouldn't get a strike for like smoking pot. Oh, okay. Even in California, I don't think you'd get a strike for smoking pot. Um, maybe like in the early days you could have gotten a third strike for it. Okay. Um, no, like it just contributed to like the overall, um, I guess it contributed to my overall rebelliousness because, um, like I said, I got suspended for a week and I've always been a pretty good student and I was kind of like highly regarded by teachers, but, Mm -hmm. um, I never like quite fit in, or at least I never felt like I fit in. I may have fit in in certain places, but I didn't feel like I fit in. And after I remember after I got suspended, I kind of came back to, Uh, the junior high school and like I was just treated differently yeah like there was a certain element of like coolness to the fact that I'd gotten in trouble that severely there was like a certain element of like like Matt Hahn did that he went and smoked pot and he got arrested and then teachers actually treated me differently like I actually had explain that like one teacher like actually like kind of took me aside after class once and said like you know like I've smoked a lot of pot before too. Like I grew up in the seventies. Like I get it. That sort of thing. They were like doing a confessional to you. Kind of. Yeah. Like incidentally, like that same teacher who said that to me, Mm -hmm. I I got to be kind of like friendly with my teachers in, in middle school. And I would go back and visit that guy every once in a while when I was in high school. Yeah. And it was only a couple of years later. I must've been a sophomore in high school. I went back to visit that teacher and he asked me if I knew where I could find him ecstasy. That's so funny. Like, Either way, the point is, like, it, the nature of my relationships with teachers yeah. and students kind of, like, changed. And, like, I suddenly kind of, like, felt like... And I think like, it's also, like, everyone has secrets. To, like, you know what I mean? Like, I always think it's funny when you think of, like, people that are supposed to be in a position of authority. Like, where you're like, well, they probably have never done anything bad in their entire life. It's like, that's not necessarily true. Well, there's a certain element of, like, them also coming down to earth. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we look up to adults so much mm-hmm. in our life. And there might be, maybe that plays a role in this, too. Like, maybe I respected authority a little bit less. Yeah. Um, because now See, I'm they, afraid they of were... everything, and I'm afraid of authority in it. So I don't, I, I don't relate to that part, because I'm just constantly nervous. <laughs> so <laughs> I get that. Yeah. I get that. But I, maybe that changed. But either way, like, I, I kind of fell into this, like, the, this role that felt comfortable to me, mm-hmm. which was, like, the smart kid who like basically doesn't give a fuck, you know, yeah. like, or the smart kid who does kind of wild and rough around the edges and kind of edgy yeah. stuff, you know? Um, and so I, I took that into high school, you know, yeah. and I was like a punk rocker and, you know, I had the leather jacket with the spikes and the bleach clothes. Oh and yeah. Like various times had a mohawk when I, when I could make it so that my parents didn't know I had the mohawk, which wasn't Wait, always how, successful. What are, how do you make it so they can't see that you have a mohawk? Well, I'm you could like those big ones. No, not like that. Well, you could have like, hair one day and then you can shave it into a mohawk and you can wear like the beanie for as long as possible as you think yeah maybe like until the next time you have to go to like church with your parents on sunday yeah and then you like shave your head and then your dad gets mad because you shave your head and he thinks you look like a nazi or a gang member or something like that but that's the worst it gets because at least you don't have a mohawk right? so funny so that's kind of that, that's kind of like the way that that sort of stuff went but it's so um, like uh do you, you we you don't have kids right We've, no kids okay I can't, hopefully one day I will. Like, I, I hope I don't make my kids that nervous about, like, you know what I mean? Like, just, if you want to wear a mohawk, wear a mohawk, right? Or I did they think Did they think it meant something? Well, I think, like, it, maybe they thought it meant something. And, you know, I'm not going to say I had a conservative family, but my family's from Iowa. Mm-hmm. And, like, punk rock wasn't in the 80s or early 90s what it is today, like, where it's kind of, like, 
an acceptable fashion statement. Like yeah. There's like expensive clothing brands that try to mimic the clothing we yeah. were wearing as punk rockers back in the day. So like, if anything, punk rock was like kind of the image of like really, really bad people, maybe as okay. far as the media goes. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I now I know what you're, I know now I know the air. I was okay. So we're about what are you forty? Almost. Okay, so I'm 34. <laughs> God, I hate saying my age on my podcast. So I would have been. I were now I remember kind of what that like the way the parents thought about the people that dress like that. Yes. It was like they were skinheads or they were there was uh, something bad wrong people. With them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They must have been into lots of drugs, which yeah, yeah, wouldn't yeah. have been a complete overstep, but <laughs> they were into some. At that point, I was into some. Yeah, that's right? that's true because now it's just people just dress like it as a fashion statement. But exactly. yeah, it, it, I guess it did mean something back then. Yes, so, back then we had to manufacture that clothing ourselves. Yeah. Like it wasn't like ready-made. Yeah. Um, though did Hot Topic did come around eventually, so you could oh, get yeah. some of that studded stuff. Loved a good band tee from Hot Topic. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. But we always had to rip the sleeves off. Yeah. <laughs> just so they didn't look for, like fresh from Hot Topic. You yeah, know? you wanted to be cool. Right. Yeah. You had to be cool. So, okay, so you were, so you were punk rocker and... You were into that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you know, just a lot of partying, you yeah. know, like a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking pot. I think the first couple of years of high school was basically pot, drinking, um, mushroom, acids, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Kind of like, I'm not going to do the like unnatural stuff, you know, like cocaine and methamphetamine. And eventually I did try cocaine. I think I might've been a sophomore in high school. When I say I'm using Hempland USA in every aspect of my life, it is no joke. I use Hempland to fall asleep at night. I also use Hempland as a kind of calming but awake part of my daily routine. Let me explain what makes Hempland USA different. Okay, so I was beginning to think the same thing. That is, until I tried Hempland USA. You know, it's like, okay, everyone's tried CBD. You don't know necessarily know what works for you. And I'm also constantly tired. So when I was confronted with like, oh, I take one during the day. Well, is that going to make me fall asleep? Nope. The best thing about Hempland USA is they have next level CBD product called ECS5 that no other company out there has. ECS5 contains a unique blend of black pepper, clove, hops, rosemary, and jujube that supercharges CBD so that your body can process it more efficiently. And like I said, like many of you, I've tried CBD in the past and it didn't do anything for me and I gave up on it for a while until I discovered Hempland. And listen, CBD is great, but ECS5 makes it even better. It's a CBD game changer. So like I said, so I take one at night that helps me fall asleep. But then as encouraged when I talk to him on the phone, there's one for during the day. And I was like, yo, I'm always tired. What do I do? And they were like, no, this will actually make you focused, but also calm. They're not joking. It does all of that. And it's a good body calming thing. Like I've mentioned before, uh, you know, my dad's had cancer most of my life. Don't worry, he's fine. But he's been taking the CBD that I gave him from Hemp in USA and his his nerve pain feels so much better. And they have also have these muscle creams. So sometimes after I go for a jog, I'll put the muscle creams on. It's just amazing and they're just different. And they have a full lineup of tinctures, soft gels, THC-free products, topicals, and a canine formula to help meet the needs of your entire family. And guys, you got to check them out and it makes a great holiday gift. So you can take 20% off your next order at hemplandusa.com and use the offer code be here at checkout. Okay. So that's 20% off your next order at hemplandusa.com and use offer code be here at checkout. Hempland CBD makes a perfect gift during the stressful holiday season. So get your order in early. Hempland USA is so confident that you'll love their products that they're offering a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. 
Experience the Hemp Land USA difference today with offer code BE HERE at checkout. You guys won't regret it. I really liked that story you told uh, before we started recording about uh, the cops overhearing you and you're like, when you were saying like you were kind of like this intellectual. Like all your friends, like you guys yeah. were partying, but you were like major intellects and the cop. So there was like, there was like a handful of us, but there was, uh, there was three of us that were tight or mm-hmm. two other people and me, um, this friend of mine, Chris, and this friend of mine, Pat. And, mm-hmm. uh, we all went to like a Catholic, a Jesuit Catholic school together. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was at a public school and then I went to the Catholic school for high school. Um, I was eventually expelled, but that hadn't happened yet. And we were kind of like the punk rock pot smoking intellectuals or whatever mm-hmm. in the sense that you know we like when we would do mushrooms like we would buy timothy leary's books mm-hmm. and like have one person would be the guide and then we would make sure that we would take like a specific specific dosage so that we could have like the proper like spiritually induced experience like through <laughs> mushrooms like like we were doing that before it was like popular today which is i guess what therapists are doing today microdosing yeah whatever. like they're yeah. doing like this other stuff so like we'd have like the books out and like there's this one time like we were really into like William S. Burroughs, which I'm, who I'm actually rereading right now, but like we were really into like William S. Burroughs or Jack Kerouac and kind mm-hmm. of like maybe this would have been like freshman, sophomore year in high school. And so we had just one time we were in Santa Cruz and there was like this really, really large bush. And I just recall like sitting in the bush with Chris and Pat and like sitting on the branches and we're like drinking beer and we're smoking pot and we're like reading um, Allen Ginsberg poems to each other <laughs> and having some sort of like deep intellectual conversation about like the nature of existence or whatever. And, um, We've been doing that for a minute, and then, like, this cop, like, pops his head in the bush. Mm-hmm. And apparently he'd been out there for, like, 10 minutes or 15 minutes. He had just stopped and wanted to listen to what we were talking about. He's like, I have never heard some dope fiend sit in a bush talking about shit like this. Just take your beer, take your weed, and go home, you know? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, you know? So, like, that's kind of, like, what, like, my partying was like for a number yeah. of years. And it's not meant to, like, it's glorify It's almost like you it were, as... like, rewarded for – not rewarded. But it was glorified a little bit. Oh, yeah. Like, I wouldn't say, like, it – I'm not meaning to glorify the, the kind of like the, the alcohol and drug abuse that mm-hmm. we were having at the time, but there's there was definitely like a um, a fun period, yeah, if you want to call it that, yeah, before it would no longer be fun. But there was a fun period. And well, I think that's with any uh, story of drug abuse. It's like people get into it thinking, or like, I mean, for the most part, I, I'm guessing that like it's it's fun until it's not fun anymore. Absolutely, and. Yeah. And I think that going back to like Nancy Reagan and like the just say no to drugs thing, there's a certain element of that was so disingenuous mm-hmm. about, I think, the way it was presented. And it's that it was always presented as like awful, mm-hmm. you know. And so like a lot of kids, I think, felt like they were really getting lied to when they actually tried drugs once. And they're like, it's not actually awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. That ends up becoming the problem because yeah. it's fun. But, like, people don't realize that, like, people actually get into, like, long-term drug use because it feels good at yeah. first. There's an element of, like, when it became fun, mm-hmm. we felt like, oh, we'd been lied to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which further kind of, like, entrenches you in that rebellious, yeah. like, I'm going to do all those things that people told me not to do growing mm-hmm. up. What if they were all lying to me? Yeah. You know, like, that, that sort of attitude, you know, and carried me through high school um, to the point at which, you know, I eventually would experiment with speed. I didn't actually like it the first time I did it. Um, so tell me about what, 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 when that happened. So what age did you first try speed? And, um, I think the first time I tried speed and it wasn't like, like bonafide crystal meth. It was like, kind of like the old, you wouldn't know the difference. And it's a good thing that you don't know the difference, but it was just like this powdered crank. We call it crank. And, um, I remember I did it. I stayed awake for like three days. It didn't have like the crazy rush. So you don't sleep for three days on it. 
you at can't, all. You can't. You you may not sleep for three days, depending on how much you do. You'll probably not sleep for at least one. So you'll probably at least miss one night of sleep when you do speed. Fuck. I love sleep so much. It's so important. To you don't me. notice. You don't notice that you're not sleeping. But um, so yeah, that's what happens when you do speed. You um, uh, you know, it might just be a line, or if you smoke it. But we were doing lines at the time. Um. And yeah, you don't you lose like kind of the drive to to eat, mm-hmm. and you lose the the, the drive to sleep, mm-hmm. and so it usually becomes like a talk fest, mm-hmm. you know, like all night long yeah. type thing, and then you'll feel like crap the next morning. You're like, oh god, and, but I still got to do this day, right? Because like yeah. the thing is, is like it takes you through the night, and then you start like maybe the next day going, oh, but now I have to do regular like, like function, function, yeah. some well, capacity. You, so I can't... you were still in high school when the, when this yeah, was, so then yeah. you had to go to to school. Um, it may have been a weekend. This I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think when it came to the more serious drugs, like early on in high school or even the middle of high school, I was still a weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, I smoked pot and drank a little bit throughout the week, but weekends were reserved for like going on the serious like benders. Yeah. And so it may have been a weekend, but the point was, is like I couldn't like go to sleep at like nine in the morning on Saturday and not expect my parents to not notice. Yeah. Um, and so what it came down to doing is like we'd wake up or appear to wake up to our family and just do two more lines, oh, okay. and then we'd stay awake throughout the day. But then we might not be able to get to sleep that night, and so yeah. like. That experience wasn't actually that fun for me when I did it that first time. Yeah. And so I didn't actually repeat it again until um, later on in high school when I felt it was necessary. So, yeah. And so on Sword and Scale, you said uh, you got mono, right? I got mono and, beginning and of my senior year. Beginning of your senior year. And then you were out of school for, what, three weeks or something from for that? It, memory is kind of weird because I was on Demerol the whole time because it was a really bad case. But I think it was like four weeks. Okay. I might have missed the first four weeks of senior year. And then you you said that uh, when you came back to school, you were, you were required to do like like make up all the work that you'd missed. And yeah, and that's it, it. Was two things like it was um, they wanted me to make up all this the work that I'd missed. They wanted me to keep up with what they were assigning me. Um, but then at the same time, I had what the doctor said at the time, and I guess now it's like a, a thing, but. I didn't realize it at the time. He said I had what appeared to be chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is like I could like survive through the school day mm-hmm. barely. And then I just want to go to sleep when I got home. And so like good luck trying to make up like a month of school and like keep up if basically you just want to hit the sack the moment mm-hmm. you get home. And it was, this was like a, a, kind of what followed from the mono. But I was just wanting to go to sleep all the time. Yeah. Um, and coincident to this, like my close friend, Pat, one of those guys I was telling you about that I used to drink at the bush with, mm-hmm. um, like he moved in, mm-hmm. uh, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, his father was dying of cancer and they were trying to sell yeah. his house. And so there was just like all this stuff going on and mm-hmm. it made more sense for him to move in with me. Um, and I don't remember so which he one moved, of, he moved into your parents' home. Yeah. He yeah. moved into my bedroom with me. Like yeah. I cut a piece of my my closet out so I could fit like a hide-a-bed into the closet, took the doors off the closet, and he had like a hide-a-bed and I had my bed and he lived in the bedroom with me. Um, and this is mm-hmm. just my close friend from all the way back to like second grade. You yeah. Know? Um, so we lived there and I don't even remember whose idea it was, but at some point, you know, the subject of me not being able to stay awake and me not being able to study or catch up like kind of mm-hmm. came up and we're like, well, maybe we should just buy some speed. Yeah. You know, like let's buy some speed. And uh, so that's what we did. And it just turns out this time around, um, I contacted the same guy that I got the speed from before. And um, this time it was like some, some serious dope. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it was some good crystal meth. And uh, all bets were off after that. Yeah. That, um, then you were There was nothing hooked. like, there's no high I'd ever experienced that was quite like that. Yeah. Um, and so that would have been whatever. Um, 
I'm going to say maybe September okay. of my senior year, and I okay. dropped out of high school by December. Shit. So like, it, like, it was caught like, up with you that quickly. I was on one, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, we when we first got it, I want to say, like, we probably didn't sleep the first week. Like, it was really intense. It's so crazy. You hear stories about, like, the, um, considering I also listen to a lot of true crime, there's stories about people that uh, aren't even on drugs, but they can't fall asleep, and they go into, like, psychotic states because mm-hmm. it's just the lack of sleep. Like, people can't function on that. I got to be honest. I am obsessed with my Rothy's shoes. Yeah, I have a life on the go. I'm constantly on my feet, walking, moving around, but I want to look cute. You know, when I'm in the airport, I'm not trying to wear some like, you know, ugly shoes. Like I want to wear stylish, cute shoes that are comfortable when I'm traveling, when I'm standing around cooking with my family over the holidays. And that's where Rothy's comes in. And they also make you feel good about wearing them because Rothy's are woven out of recycled plastic water bottles. And they're also, like I said, crazy comfortable and super cute. So they're perfect for everyday shoes for life on the go. And they're cute with like yoga pants, dresses and skirts. And they come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints and patterns. And they just, they launch new styles all the time. And there's fun pops of color that perk up every outfit and they still look polished and professional. Like you can wear them to work and be super confident in them. And it will blow your mind. Like I said, that they're made from repurposed plastic water bottles. In fact, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills already. That's insane. Another major bonus, they're fully machine washable. So every time they need a refresh, you can simply toss them in the washing machine and it's like getting a new pair of shoes every laundry day. It's amazing. You'll quickly discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. So check out all the amazing styles right now at rothys.com slash be here. Go to rothys, that's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash be here to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability these are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash be here today. I think a lot of the side effects that people come to associate with meth is really the side effects of um, not sleeping or not eating. Mm-hmm. Um, like we used to, and this is a kind of a wild topic to go down, but we used to like see what we call meth monsters. Mm-hmm. And What's that mean? It's like there's a lot of, it starts out as like auditory hallucinations. Mm-hmm. So if you've been up for a while, a couple of days, you just, you think, say, maybe a conversation is happening in the room next to you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, I think there's someone in the house. Or yeah. Maybe there's someone outside in the backyard and they're spying on us. So you're like, you go outside and there's nobody there. Yeah. And then at night, it's like, um, it becomes like visual hallucinations that tend to come out of the, like, the shadowy parts of the world. So if yeah. you look out your window at night, you know, like, the, in the shadows, it looks like there's people hiding there. Yeah. Or like at the periphery of your vision, like you think someone's like there and you look and, and then you don't see them. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly like thinking that there's people either talking about you in the room next to you or like that there's people like walking up the street like towards you and you get really like crazy and paranoid. And then in some cases you react to them mm-hmm. like I did. Like I was in one point in time, I remember, and this is actually maybe a year after I dropped out of high school, but when I was really off the deep end, I remember actually getting into a car chase mm-hmm. like with meth monsters like i thought somebody was chasing me in a car and so like i was in like a did, high you, did you physically i was in my car yeah i was in, like in a high speed chase like blowing through red lights like swerving all around like the local expressway probably one you got on to holy get here holy shit to to avoid like this meth monster that, that I thought wasn't was tra- there it wasn't there oh that is terrifying yeah and they always appeared in like purple or like um like pale blue like crown victorias like basically cop cars but yeah. like certain colored ones you know <laughs> so like i saw them like everywhere um but yeah like that so like 
that's what I mean. Like a lot of the damage happens when people like react to like the hallucinations. But I still think a lot of that has to do with like uh, lack of nutrients and lack of sleep. I think even like, again, even when people are not doing drugs, like if you don't take care of yourself and like eat properly, it's it's like kind of the concept when people get like hangry. Yeah. It's like you're just not all there. Well, I'm not all there if I like miss lunch by like an hour yeah like, no. imagine by like 36 hours yeah you know? like you start getting a little grumpy totally totally <laughs> okay so what so what was the first um where did the uh burglaries or the rob what is the word burglary or robbery because you make a very clear distinction so like, on that like podcast. robbery is like if i like walk up to you and like say stick them up okay you know like a point a gun at you give me your money yeah. so like a robbery is something you um when you basically tell somebody to give you what they have. Yeah. And so like there's armed robbery with a gun, there's strong arm where you yeah. just threaten somebody and then they give it to you. Yeah. Burglary is, there's different types, but there's residential burglaries and then there's just yeah. non-residential. So like but if you, I went and stole from like a construction site, yeah, that would be what's called like a, a, a non-residential burglary. It's a secondary burglary. Yeah. If I steal from a home, uh-huh. it's a residential burglary. But I want to make it clear for my listeners, you've never been convicted of like a violent crime and you've no. never done anything violent. And Other than is... fist fights and things like that. But yeah. No. So, so you, so what was the first, uh, arrest? What well, was... it was for a bunch of burglaries. <laughs> yeah. But that's not a violent crime. No, 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 it's not. Cause I'm trying, I'm also trying to get to the, uh, crazy part of your story right. too. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, so that would have been in uh, early 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically got arrested. And I don't remember what the number is. Um, I'm going to estimate that it was like 15 to 20 felonies, um, various types of burglaries, mm-hmm. like first degree, which is um, in California, which is a strikeable offense. So if you do okay. three of them, um, you can get 25 to life for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondary burglary and possession of stolen property. It was like some mixtures. Po- mm-hmm. A potpourri of felonies, <laughs> <laughs> like, a little medley of them. Just a medley. Yeah, you didn't want to listen. You didn't want to do the same thing over and over again. You got no. to switch it up. No, like, uh, and honestly, sometimes it's this is actually a function of the district attorney, mm-hmm. um, who like say they catch you with a stolen property, mm-hmm. a piece of stolen property. They're like, all right, we're going to charge him with possession of stolen property. Mm-hmm. We're going to charge him with stealing the stolen property. So sometimes yeah. you get two felonies for the same thing. Yeah. And if you tried to sell it, they could get you like possession and then sale of stolen property and then like actually stealing it. Like they call it railroading where they like just slam you with every possible charge hoping it's kind of like throwing something at a wall yeah. and see what sticks. Yeah, totally. Thing. Yeah. And it also makes it so they can like really scare the living shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, because like now you're facing like a hundred years instead of like two so, right? and so they can get you to like take a plea bargain. And now is this in every state that, uh, so we need to explain the three strike law that's in California. That's right. not necessarily in every state. I don't know how many states have it, but yeah. I think most states have it. Oh, they do? Okay. Something like, if they don't call it three strike, they call it like the re-offender okay. law or whatever it is. Okay. So, and they have some variant of it. The way it operated when I was doing all this mm-hmm. was, um, you can pick up as many strikes as they want to give you on a single arrest, as long as they're strikeable offenses. And then if you have two or more strike convictions on your record, anytime you get arrested for a felony thereafter is mm-hmm. an automatic third strike. So 25 years to life. Um, and it, but it doesn't have to be like, uh, there's another podcast I listen to called ear hustle. Uh-huh. Check out that one. It, it's, it's a great one. Yeah. yeah you, you do know it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few stories of people that like, their third strike and no violent offenses. Their third strike was they like stole twenty dollars from like a liquor store or something. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. And then they they're in there for life with people that have committed horrific right. murders and right now the first and, two and strikes child, had to be violent yeah. or serious though okay so they had to be the first strike like violence kind of an obvious one right like rape or attempted murder or mm-hmm. whatever you know things like that assault and battery like those are kind of obvious strikes right like what i fell under was the serious part so when mm-hmm. they say violent or serious crimes like i was a serious criminal okay if you want to call it that um and so first degree burglary while it's not violent mm-hmm. they consider serious and therefore okay. it's strikeable so when they offered me a plea bargain, I ended up getting a plea bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the deal was, let's see. I know all of my prison sentences total up to 20, exactly. So mm-hmm. I think I think I got five years, eight Wait, months. You've been in prison 20 different times? No, no, no. Like my total term like uh, that I've been oh. sentenced to in my life is 20 years on the dot. Okay, so like, I think the first term was five years, eight months. Okay. Um, so I got five years, eight months on that term, but part of that plea bargain was that I was agreeing to having basically three plus strikes on my record. Okay. So I think part of the plea bargain was nine first degree burglary convictions. So I had nine strikes. Okay. Now so, remember, they can't strike you out all at once how on, much, on one arrest. How much time total have you spent in prison in, in, in and out of? Total in my life, um, just under nine. Okay. Under nine years. Okay. But they were different Different times. prison terms. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about my first arrest, first prison term. Yeah. First plea bargain. So that's where I got all those strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to San Quentin, then went to a prison actually down in your neck of the woods in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I paroled in 2001, like a week or two before 9-11. Um, and then I did good for a few years. But mm-hmm. now, mind you, like I am now like convicted of multiple strikeable offenses. So any felony I get mm-hmm. would be a third strike. So like you said, like if I stole a pizza or if I... Yeah. Whatever. Like, got into a fist fight at a bar, and like the cops decided to charge us with like assault or something like that. Uh, you know, it's a third strike. Twenty five to life, no questions asked. Jeez, I- I'm not even close to. I've never been arrested, but like, I feel nervous for you, just like based on that. Like, like... I wish I was more nervous. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know I, mean? I wish I was. I, I you know, like, based on the way things went, like I, I, I would, wish well, I was more cautious. Well, I wish I was less nervous. I, I actually say this a lot, where I'm like, I wish I could like just, I like. What would it be like to just like live like and like not care about? I don't know. It's hard to explain, but okay. There's people out there. I've run into a few of them, and yeah. they, they they do in prison what they call life on the installment plan. So they never go out there and do like the crazy stuff like murder or, yeah. or maim, but they just don't care whether they go to jail. And so they'll literally do like a life sentence like in two or three year increments, just over and over again. They've been doing it their whole life, and you meet them in there. That's so crazy. Um, they just don't care. I want to ask you about some prison stories too, but I want to get to like the. So, okay. So you're, you're, when did you start, uh, burglarizing houses? Like, so that would have been, um, within a month or two of dropping out of high school. Okay. And it, it, was it to get money to buy? Um, I'd say in the beginning, yeah, it was, um, it was, I'd say actually that the first term, Mm -hmm. my first prison term, my first time, like kind of like going down the meth road. Um, yes. Like my stealing was in order to trade it for, for dope. Oh yeah, so you, I you mentioned on the other the sword and scale that the meth dealer was like a tool head. Yeah, he, yeah, he liked tools, you know, and uh, actually a lot of tweakers they just like tools. It's kind of like a tweaker really thing. Yeah, you go to a tweaker's pad, they got all the coolest tools, and they're all polished and they're like organized really well, you know. Like I mean, it's there's just something <laughs> about tweakers and tools and like working on cars. Yeah. Maybe Listen, because it's like something with, you can do in the garage. I was say, all they need night to long. do stuff with their hands. They're like all yes. the, yeah. <laughs> so like I think you know most 
tweakers like tools. But like at the time growing up in the kind of the wealthy community I was in, like nobody, I none of my dads that I knew like worked on like tools like seriously. So this yeah. guy, like he stuck out to me as like, this guy really likes tools. Yeah. He's got like a giant snap on tool case, you know, like this guy really into it. Yeah. So yes, in the beginning I was stealing tools and like trading them for dope. Um, and eventually it kind of grew into um, stealing from garages, stealing from cars, sometimes going into the house um, if like if the garage was attached and the door was unlocked. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I got arrested there, arrested for there my first time uh, there in, in 1999. Okay. That's not, is that, is that, is this the, the safe one? No, no, we're no, still, no. Oh, we're still early. No, okay. We're still early. But you went through a garage on that one too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Keep in going. fact, I think most of my, with the exception of one, mm -hmm. um, almost, I think all of my first degree, my residential burglaries and my first case were garages. Mm -hmm. In fact, the way that they define whether it's. I guess that'd be the easiest way to get into someone's house, right? Well, most people just, believe it or not, like there's in any given neighborhood, someone's got their garage door wide open. That's why it was an, it was a crime of opportunity. Like yeah. I wasn't like the type I didn't want to go, um, like rob somebody. You yeah. Know, like that. A I didn't want to like terrify somebody like that. B I wasn't like to, trying to put myself in a position where like he'd see me. Yeah. I was trying to be sneaky. You yeah. Know? Like I was a sneaky dope fiend, and so like it's just drive through the neighborhood and mm -hmm. cars unlocked, garage door open. Okay, so it I was keep your keep thing. your garages closed, people. Especially on trash night. Oh. So like on garbage night, there tend to be a greater number or percentage of you know, garage doors open i probably shouldn't be saying that on here because like somebody's gonna get a tip but, no. or people will know to remember to close their garage yeah. doors on trash night you know i think that i think it's a good tip though like i'm the i'm thinking like shit keep your garage closed like yeah it's weird it's just people I, I, it was just a trend i noticed but yeah. um so yeah that, that was my first case like i said i got out in 2001 mm -hmm. um and i did pretty good for for a number of years um Incidentally, while I was in prison the first time, that really close friend of mine, Pat, um, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, and so coming home to him being sick or very different than mm -hmm. he was and, and the person I remember growing up with was difficult. Um, but nonetheless, I was doing well. Mm -hmm. And um, how, um, how old was he when that? How old? So he would have been uh, 20 or 21, something like that. Because that's usually when it gets yeah, detected. I, yeah, and, you know, like, I had gotten arrested there in early, like I said, 1999. Mm -hmm. He didn't get arrested. Mm -hmm. So, like, he was kind of, he just kind of kept on the partying path. So I think he laid off the meth. He was doing a lot of other stuff, like, kind of, I got heavy into, more into acid and mushrooms and smoking a lot of pot. And um, so that's what he was doing, like, kind of that year, mm -hmm. year and a half I was fighting my case. Plant package is so fun. It's a gardening subscription box. It delivers to your doorstep four plants, a container, just the right amount of soil and plant food and instructions for assembly and care. It's a gardening equivalent of your favorite meal delivery service. And who doesn't love one of those? And plant package is perfect for young professionals who live in apartments with limited space and who feel like gardening isn't an option for them. I fell into that category and I was really wanting to like grow some shit in my apartment and plant package solved that problem for me because I didn't know how to get all this stuff and figure out how to do it, but it came to my door and now I have a beautiful blooming plants. It's also for like the couple who just bought their first home looking for curb appeal with no idea where to start or people short on time and eat each plant package takes about 20 minutes to assemble. And with plant package, the prep work of gardening is done for you. So no need to go to the garden center. Who wants to do that? Plant package selects durable seasonal plants. Past boxes have included flower plants, 
foliage plants, fruit plants, and herb plants. Plants that can thrive indoors or outdoors, the choice is yours. And they're fully customizable. So subscription options to fit your lifestyle. You choose whether your box comes monthly, every other month, or seasonally, every once every three months. And gift options are also available. I mentioned earlier I sent one to my boyfriend's mom. I'm tracking it. It's arriving soon. Super excited. Hopefully I get some points. Um, so coming up now, we got the uh, winter box, which is uh, you're going to get like the February one, which is flowers and candy, which is adorable. So there's two daisies and two variations of mint and chocolate ganache. Super cute. Also in January for the dark winter days, there's three spotted hypotheses in different colors and a peace lily. It's so awesome and so cute and a great way to brighten up your home or your garden. And right now, Plant Package is offering listeners a Be Here for a while, $15 off your first plant package with code Be Here. Visit plantpackage.com and use code Be Here to redeem at checkout. Offer is also valid for $15 off gifts. So get in early right now. It's time to get your holiday gifts. So again, go to Plant package.com and use code be here to redeem $15 off your first plant package at checkout. He was like, uh, you know, kind of partying with, you know, hallucinogens and all sorts of stuff while I was away in prison. Mm -hmm. And it was during that period of time that his dad died. Uh, I remember his dad had been sick with cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I suspect that, you know, like that, that was a, a triggering event of some sort because it was only like three or four months later that, um, he had the incident that led to, to them, realizing that he was Poor schizophrenic guy. in some way you know did he have a, a history of it in his family or um not that i know of yeah not, not directly i don't know probably just uh, maybe trauma and like the all the hallucinogens could maybe trigger it it maybe triggered it but yeah. my understanding that it comes with some sort of genetic predisposition as well but yeah. um that life events can yeah. bring it about either way you know that he was like that when i got home um and it was probably hard to be like this is not my f- the friend that you remember? I mean, there were flashes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still, you know, it's interesting because like in some ways he was completely different because he used to be like egocentric and gregarious and sometimes an asshole in the right way. You know, mm-hmm. like he was like, he was very, of the three of us, he was the jock, mm-hmm. you know, like he was like good at sports and like super popular with like the football crowd. And mm-hmm. Like he was like, he was that sort of guy, like this Irish, Italian, like go-getter on the debate team, thought mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan was the greatest president in history. That's sort of Like he was that, he was that kind of guy. He was awesome. And like that kind of persona, that egocentrism was gone. Like mm-hmm. the arrogance was gone, and what was left was actually just this really, really kind-hearted person. And some, like sometimes, like uh, yeah, um, it's okay if it's hard to talk. No, about it's okay. It. Like sometimes, like when I think of uh, when I think of Pat, uh, the last few years is like hard as it was. Um, he was kind of like an angel, you know. Like he was. I just remember the the hugs he would give when he'd mm-hmm. come visit him because he didn't like to leave the house very often anymore. Um, so yeah, like it's very difficult, but at the same time, like, like the purity of his heart was like still there, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, you're probably wondering, like the listeners are wondering, like, why am I talking about this guy so much? But because what happened you, is like, yeah, I, um, I know why you are. I know, you yeah. know, but like, so yeah, Pat ended up killing himself, um, in, uh, October of 2003. And that was kind of like, I'd been doing well before that. So how many years were you out of prison and clean? Uh, so I've been happened? out a couple of years. Couple of years. Couple mm-hmm. of years, um, and it was shortly thereafter that I kind of I started drinking all the time. Not that I wasn't drinking before, but like drinking daily type mm-hmm. thing. And uh, I think I relapsed on meth, meth maybe like two, three months mm-hmm. afterwards. And just to be clear, like I'm not this, I'm not laying the blame on Pat dying for me relapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, ultimately it's me, you know, like looking for an excuse to use like the, mm-hmm. if there's any listeners who can identify with like having a history of addiction then they probably understand. But if there's some that don't, um, it's almost like, uh, there's a part of me that was looking for some life experience to latch onto, to be able to drink or to be able to use. And I was just mm-hmm. waiting for that thing to happen to say, fuck it all. Yeah. And that was the thing. Yeah. It happened to be a big event. And the beauty of a big event for a dope fiend is that, uh, um, like, there's a certain element of, like, people are understand it. There's almost, like, a forgiveness of, like, oh, well, you, you saw what happened to Pat, his close friend. Like, give him some space. You know, like, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh-huh. That makes sense. And so there's, like, sense. an allowance. Almost there's almost, like, a social allowance mm-hmm. for, um, for substance abuse following tragic things like that. And I took advantage of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm very sorry about him. That that's yeah. that, But that is that is I mean, I I can't imagine losing a best friend like that. Yeah. It was rough. It was rough, but you know, I I got high enough that I didn't have to feel it anymore. Yeah. Um for at least a few years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um so yeah, like I relapsed on meth, um like whatever that was a few months later and um I remembered what I was doing successfully before, if you want to call it successfully, going mm-hmm. to prison for it. Um, but I remembered what I was doing, um, and I, I lost my job. I was in management with a bookstore, and I lost that job because I wasn't employable anymore. So um, I started, you know, stealing. Mm-hmm. And initially, it was not stealing to like keep my habit. Yeah, because I'm an adult now. It was like stealing to pay the rent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or stealing to pay, you know, for like. Yes, the dope too, but dope compared to rent and like car insurance is actually yeah. relatively cheap. Yeah, totally. Um, so like in the beginning, it was actually stealing to do all that. And then um, I think we discussed this a little bit earlier, but um, like the dope, like I was using more this time because I was an adult and I had more access to money. You mm-hmm. know, like I was using more, I think. Um, and so it lost its, uh, I don't know, its, its efficacy. It lost its power. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't as strong. Yeah. Um, it wasn't getting me as high as it was before. Um, I wasn't staying up as long, which somewhere in my mind that meant it wasn't as good. Yeah. It was probably because I wasn't a teenager anymore and my body couldn't handle staying up as long as yeah. it used to be able to. But there's some part of me that was thinking that it wasn't working much. And so I was doing more and more and more dope. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ended up happening is like the stealing itself became an addiction. Mm-hmm. To, um, I guess the best way just to describe it is like there's like a high associated with uh, with stealing that was on par with, say, that first time I'd done meth mm-hmm. way back when I was, or like the good meth or the, the powerful meth when I was like 18 years old or mm-hmm. 17 or whenever that was. Um, and so that just progressed. And I wanted to do that more and more and more, stealing when I didn't need to steal, stealing when I didn't need money, mm-hmm. stealing when I the rent was paid, whatever you want to call it, stealing just for the sake of stealing. There, It's weird because like my story with stealing is like you would hear people tell about their story with dope. Mm-hmm. I like... I'll never forget, it was like February 18th of 2005. And I said, I'm not going out and burglarizing tonight. This is what I told myself. Oh, wow. Because it was the anniversary of me getting arrested the first time. Yeah. I said, it's bad luck. You can't go out tonight. I couldn't stop myself. Like, I, like I'm like, i like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm staying home. I'm drinking beer. I'm not going out. I'm not going out. And lo and behold, like two hours later, I'm out stealing. It's like crazy. And, that, yeah. and I ended up getting charged with the burglary from that night later yeah. on, you know? So like it ended up being like, I was correct in my thinking and that this is probably bad luck, yeah. you know? And it ended up working out that way oh, as well. Yeah. You did, you did also say on the um, sword and scale that you would, ha- you would have an intuition when you walk, when you 
went to go burglarize these places that something bad was on i can only sometimes i wonder whether it was drugs mm -hmm. and sometimes i wonder whether it was true mm -hmm. and like the i think the the instances you're referring to are like the instances in which it turned out to be probably yeah probably true but like yeah like on one occasion the first time i got arrested i remember i'd I was in a house doing a burglary and I just had a bad feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the bad feeling was, but I just had a bad feeling. And so rather than steal anything, I walked out of the garage out to my my mom's minivan, which is what was parked down the street. Oh, sweet. But my car had gotten <laughs> impounded. Ride. My my car had gotten impounded the day before and mm -hmm. I happened to know that my mom's minivan was usable because I'd accidentally broken off a key in the ignition. So it was always you could always turn it on when you didn't have a key. Ah. So I had taken that that, but that meant that I had to leave the car running in the street long story like yeah. dope fiend stuff going on here um so like my my mom's minivan was running down the street from this house i was burglarizing like it's stupid and um either way like i didn't steal anything and i walked outside because i just knew something was wrong and that's when i saw cops coming up the street yeah and i booked it Did i don't you? know that that's necessarily a drug thing that sounds like you had a gut instinct in that particular instance yes but like but that happened like, let me tell you there's like numerous times i had gut instincts oh, where like oh, okay i just walked outside everything was fine you know yeah. like so like that's what I mean like those ones stick out because they were confirmed. They, yeah. they were confirmed. So um, and we'll talk about the other one later when we get to it, right? Okay. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like I, so that would have been like uh, where were we at? We're in well, we're in February of two thousand, mm -hmm. February eighteenth. So we're in, we're in February of two thousand five, and I guess we're getting close to the yeah time I would steal a safe. Yeah, that that and the, that that is. I mean, I think like your overall story fascinated me. Even even the stories of like when you were in prison and the uh, the vegetable grow, like all of it is like, and and just that you are so. You're not a bad guy, like it, like it, and and I think that people would tend to think that all right, so yeah, you stole stuff, which isn't great. That can be traumatizing for the people that no, like lost their stuff. Yeah, and I hurt yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. But when push came to shove, you basically put yourself on the line to turn. So can we go into that story? We should talk about that story yeah, okay. before yeah. we recap it, right? Like, uh, so yeah, like I, um, where do I start? Like, how do I start telling that story? I suppose just, um, just the night, just start from yeah, the night. Like I went to, like, I went to this house off the information of a friend of mine because there's something I was looking for for to steal. It doesn't really matter what it was. Huh? Is that what it three was a three-wheeler, yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, I wanted to steal a three-wheeler, so I thought there'd be a three-wheeler at this house in um, a nearby town, Los Gatos. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to this house, and there, there actually, I couldn't find a three-wheeler, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of scoured around it, and I guess I should point out, like, the layout of the house a little bit. There's, yeah. like, it's a, it's a nice, it's a wealthy area. It's across from, like, a golf course. There's, like, a nice relatively large house on the back of the property um and then like a small cottage on the front of the property and so the driveway when you come in the house you kind of pass by the cottage mm -hmm. and then it turns around and kind of splits the area between the cottage and the main house i know why am i describing the layout of a burglary but we'll get to no, it later I, you know like don't, so. don't second guess it because this, the story is fascinating okay yeah so yeah so like i walked in i went down this driveway i passed the cottage and i'm, I'm looking around i don't find what i'm looking for mm -hmm. ultimately um, but this person had told me this guy owns a three wheeler, so I'm determined to come back and I do, I go back and I think I actually stole something that night. I stole, I stole some tools that night cause they mm -hmm. were lying around kind of like near the side of the house. But I left the house and decided to come back a couple of nights later. And I did, I came back a couple of nights later with this guy that I used to do burglaries with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and he knew we were going to look for a three-wheeler and so we went back there and uh again the three-wheeler wasn't there and so i kind of snuck into the an area to the side of the main house thinking like kind of a last ditch let's see if there's anything back here and it was back there that i had another one of those intuitions or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it where i I felt like there was just something off or something wrong. And I think the way I've described it before is that like, I, there's all sorts of noises in our environment that mm-hmm. are happening that we're not always registering. Mm-hmm. And, but that doesn't mean we're not hearing them. Mm-hmm. And so like, I used to interpret like these sudden, like, you know, intuitions or paranoias as like, there was a sound or something happened that my body heard that I'm not consciously aware of. Mm-hmm. That's how I used to interpret it. Yeah. And so I'm like, stop and listen and see, you know, like, is there anything there? And I didn't hear anything, so, um, but I did decide that it was time to leave. Mm-hmm. And so I remember looking at the guy, or I didn't, kind of whispering to him because he was far away. And I said, "Hey, we got to go," you know. And so we left the side of the house, and as we're walking back down that driveway, that's in between the main house and the cottage, mm-hmm. I noticed that the door of the cottage is wide open. Now, mind mm-hmm. you, it's like whatever it is, two in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. So it's the middle of the night. Doors aren't usually opening on people's houses in the middle of the night. And, like, so it's dark. The driveway's dark. And now, like, there's this door open and there's, like, light shining out mm-hmm. into the into the driveway. And, obviously, we just walked by this five minutes earlier. Yeah. So there's no way in heck, uh, you know, we wouldn't have noticed that. So, basically, during the period of time when we came on the property and tooled around in their uh-huh. yard for three or four minutes and we're leaving, somebody woke up. Okay. Somebody came outside. So that your natural inclination is to what? Like run, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, but we <laughs> walked by the cottage and I looked through the door um, that's wide open and there's like a laundry room and then there's like a bedroom mm-hmm. right beyond the laundry room and sitting on the floor of the bedroom is a safe. It's mm-hmm. just sitting there and there's kind of, I don't know, like burglars, safes, they kind of like go hand in hand. Like I felt like I had yeah. to go in. And get it. So I basically told the guy, like, hey, help me. Let's go get this. He said, no, 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 don't go in there. I'm like, whatever. And um, I went in. And I tried to pick it up. And I I think it was, like, a little bit too heavy. Either way, I asked him for help. He kind of obliged, came in, helped me. And then we stole the safe and threw it in the bed of my pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And that would be, like, the safe that would, you know. Change your life. Change my life. And a lot of other people's lives, too. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. 